We shall now turn to the chapter which we read together, Daniel chapter 2. We could read again verse 44. Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. To me, this is one of the most encouraging chapters in the whole Bible. I look around today and I see the church in Britain in a very low state. On every side, false religion abounds and no religion. Wherever we look, we see atheism and secularism we see the Sabbath being desecrated. The Sabbath, a great mark of the people of God. We see the commandments of God trampled underfoot. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Seventh commandment to do with marriage, how it's trampled underfoot. We think of the sixth commandment. Thou shalt not kill, and we think of all the unborn children killed in the womb and murderers who are allowed to get off, as it were, who are not executed. We think of the ninth commandment, and we see there the command against lying. And lies are just so common in the highest circles of our country, amongst our politicians. Wherever you look, God's commandments are trampled underfoot. The church is weak. The forces of secularism have taken over our nation and indeed our Western world. God sent a virus to us, the coronavirus, something new, something strange. You would have thought it would humble us as a people and that we would turn to the Lord in repentance, but doesn't happen. And then God sent war to Europe. And again, it seems to have no effect of humbling us or causing us to repent and to turn to the Lord in prayer and humiliation, turning away from our sins. Our world today is so unstable and yet people go on as if Everything was fine. The world will go on just as it was in the past. Coronavirus came along and people put their faith in science, in vaccines, in the National Health Service. But there was no turning to the Lord. People trust in their armies and their weapons. And we turn and we look at the church and we see the church is so small, so weak, so divided. Even the congregation here considerably smaller than it was in 2000. Up and down our land, we see the same thing. 
the churches in decline, struggling to survive, as it were. And so it's easy for us to, to become depressed, downcast, to feel defeated. But here we have a chapter that tells us about the ultimate success of the church of God. No matter what kingdoms, empires, organizations are contrary to God's church, they will be ground to powder and blown away. But the church of God will grow and grow and grow until it fills the earth. God reigns. Let the earth be glad. Well, first of all, we have here a troubling dream. Nebuchadnezzar was the greatest emperor up till that time. He was hugely powerful. And one night he went to bed with questions. The second year of his reign, here he was, so mighty, so powerful with his great armies. But he's got questions in his mind. Tells us about that in verse 29. He's wondering, what's going to happen in the future? What does tomorrow have in store for us? What's going to happen next year? What's going on? <clears throat> and with all these questions, the Lord comes to him with a dream. As we look at our world today, we too have questions, don't we? There's inflation. Inflation seems to be rampant at the moment and people are concerned about it. Inflation of 10, 11, 12, 13% growing, pay rises growing, fuel costs rising rapidly. Where's it all going to end? <clears throat> and then there's this war in Europe that could spread very easily. Nuclear weapons could be used. There's unrest there in China and Taiwan and stress, strife between China and the US. Could it blow up in war? Could China attack Taiwan and what will come from that? In our own country, we've in the process of electing a new prime minister. What effect will that have? What of the future? Which direction is it going in? What is going to happen? Well, Nebuchadnezzar was thinking about these things as he went to bed. And very often, if you're thinking about things when you go to bed, you get dreams, don't you, that are related to the things that you're thinking about. And that's what happened here. But it wasn't a normal dream that he got. So much rubbish in our dreams. But this was a dream that was very evidently different. It made an impact upon him. And he felt that there was something being revealed, something special. It was a dream from God. And God was revealing to him 
what was going to happen in the future. In his dream, he sees a great, majestic, awesome image, frightening. It has a head of gold and then chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of brass, legs of iron and feet, part iron and part clay. And then a stone suddenly appears, cut out of the mountain without hands. And the stone strikes the image on its feet. And the feet are broken. And the image tumbles. And the whole image is ground to powder and blown away with the wind. And then the stone grows and grows and grows until it becomes a great mountain that fills the earth. That's his dream. It troubles him. He can't get it out of his mind. He's determined at all costs to find find out what it means. He knows that there's a purpose in it. So we have here then, first of all, a troubling dream. And then secondly, we have here a ruthless tyrant calls together all his wise men, the magicians, the astrologers, the soothsayers, the Chaldeans. He gathers them all together, all his wisest men, those men who claim to have special uh, uh, knowledge, special insight, who claim to have contact with the divine, with uh, wizards and witches and people like that, the magicians. And he tells them that he has dreamed a dream. And he wants to know what the dream means. So they say to him, well, you tell us the dream and we'll tell you the interpretation. Very easy to make up an interpretation for folk like that. But um, he's not very keen to tell them his dream because he wants to test if they're just making it all up, or if it's really true, if they really do have contact with the divine or with the spirit world and are able to interpret the future. I used to think, actually, that um, he had forgotten his dream. But if he had forgotten his dream, then he wouldn't be in a position to be able to judge if they told him the right dream or not. So they say unto him, let the king, verse 7, tell his servants the dream and we will show the interpretation of it. And the king answered and said, I know of certainty that you would gain the time because you you see the thing is gone from me. It's not gone out of his memory. Not in that sense gone from him, but gone from him as a, as a law that they will be destroyed if they don't tell him the dream and that they will be rewarded if they do. So the king is threatening them with being cut in pieces. Verse 5, your houses shall be made a dunghill 
But if you show me the dream and the interpretation thereof, you shall receive of me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and the interpretation thereof. And he was going to decide. He was going to know that their interpretation was right if they could tell him the dream. But, verse 10, the Chaldeans answered before the king and said, there's not a man upon the earth that shall show the king's matter. Therefore, there is no king, nor lord, nor ruler that asketh such things at a magician or astrologer or Chaldean. It's a very rare thing that the king requires. There's no one that can show the king his dream, but the gods whose dwelling is not with men and women. And the king became very angry and very furious and commanded to destroy all the wise men in Babylon. And the decree went forth that all the wise men should be slain. And they sought Daniel and his fellows to slay them. So here we have a ruthless tyrant, man of great power, and a man who is not to be trifled with. A man who's cruel. Who's asking more than ordinary men could do, could do. What is the dream? And what is the interpretation? Tell me the dream and then I'll know that you can interpret it for mm -hmm. me. And if you don't, you're all going to be cut in pieces. So we have here then. A ruthless tyrant. Next we have. A praying prophet. Daniel. Is sought by Arioch. In order to be put to death. Along with his three friends. Sadroch, Meshach and Abednego. Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. And Daniel asks, what, what's, what's going on? What's all the rush? And he's told about the situation and how the king has had this dream and won't tell people what his dream is. And this law has gone out from him that all the wise men should be cut in pieces because they can't tell him the dream. So Daniel pleads for time. He goes in before the king and asks the king for time. And then he calls together his three godly friends and they plead with the God of heaven. They plead for mercy of the God of heaven so that they will not perish. What an example Daniel is to us. How important is prayer? How we neglect to pray so often. Think of our savior and what an example he was of prayer. Remember when he was in Capernaum, performing miracles, healing the paralyzed man who came down through the roof into the house, crowds around, listening to his, his, his teaching and seeing his miracles, and then dismissed the crowd, went to bed. And you would expect him to be really exhausted and tired, but early the next morning, long before day, he's out of the house and away to a secret place where he can pray. Think of him feeding the 5,000, preaching all day, 
dispersing the multitude and then going up a mountain to pray. How important it was for him to pray. How he loved to intercede with God. How he loved to be alone with his father, pleading for his church, pleading for the strength that he needed, for the help he needed in order to fulfill his mission. Remember him just before he chose the 12 apostles, how he spent the whole night in prayer. See him in the Garden of Gethsemane, wrestling with God. I will not let thee go except thou bless me. There was no wrestling like the wrestling of Christ. Abba, Father, let this cup pass from thee. All things are possible. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. He prayed with strong crying and tears unto him who was able to deliver him from death. And he was heard in that he feared. An angel sent to strengthen him. And he was heard in that he was delivered from death, raised on the third day. But there's our Savior. What a man of prayer he was. And you and I need prayer far more than he did in a sense. And yet we're so reluctant to pray how we should be praying. This week you're hoping to have a congregational meeting to elect a minister. Why are you not more and more and more in prayer so that you will all be guided to the one person whom God has chosen to be your minister? It's really so easy. Nothing could be easier in one sense. Lord, show us who your will is, who your choice is, not my choice, not so-and-so's choice, not the most popular one, but the one that God has chosen for you. And then you're all united because God is guiding you to the one person that God has chosen to be the minister. Yes, it's simple. But we're such sinners that we don't take the simple way. The way of salvation is so easy, as somebody said. It's far too simple. Far too simple for proud people. And proud people are so reluctant to bow to the will of God and accept God's simple way. Here's Daniel and his three friends, and they're in prayer, and they're praying to the God of heaven. Ask and you shall receive. Hitherto you have asked nothing. Why are you so reluctant to ask? Ask and you shall receive. You receive not because you ask not. If there's anything we need to do today, surely it's to pray. And next we see here a great answer. See it in verse 19. We see how they prayed. Um, then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. And Daniel blessed the God of heaven. What a wonderful God we have. A God who knows secrets, who knows everything. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom is his. If you need wisdom, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. Wisdom and might are his. He changeth the times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He removes prime ministers and he sets up prime ministers. 
and he removes ministers, and he gives other ministers in their place. He giveth wisdom unto the wise, and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. What a wonderful God we have. Why should we be in darkness? Why should we be confused? If we truly seek the Lord's guidance, we'll get it. We certainly will. The Lord does guide. Have you ever really prayed for guidance and the Lord not led you? God guides. I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, that thou hast given me wisdom and might and hast made known unto me now what we desired of thee. For thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. When God answers prayer, how important it is that we give thanks. And so often we pray for things and the Lord answers us. And we don't give thanks. We're ungrateful. We don't consider it. We forget it. And so, next, a great kingdom. Daniel is brought in before the king. And he says, Daniel comes in, verse 27, before the king. Whom the king, he comes to Arioch, and Arioch brings him in. And um, Daniel says to the king, Daniel, whose name Belshazzar, verse 26, Art thou able to make known unto me the dream, says uh, the king? And Daniel answered in the presence of the king, verse 27, and said, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king, because they don't have that knowledge and contact with God. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known unto the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. God knows. God reveals. God gave the dream, and God will give the interpretation. And God here is revealing to Nebuchadnezzar what is going to happen. You see, he went to bed troubled, wondering about the future. And God decides to reveal the future to Nebuchadnezzar. So he sees this image of gold, gold head. The gold head represents the king, Nebuchadnezzar. Thou art king of kings. Thou art a great king, a glorious king, a mighty and powerful king. You are the head of gold. And next after you will come another empire, another kingdom, the chest and arms of silver, inferior in some ways. Two parts, two arms, the Medes and the Persians, the Medo-Persian empire. Next, the belly and thighs of brass. Alexander the Great, the Greek empire. Again, it breaks into two. The Syrians, the Egyptians, the Seleucides of Syria, 
and the Ptolemies of Egypt. And then comes this very strong empire of iron, the Roman Empire. Again, in two parts, the east and the west. Very strong. And then the feet, the ten toes, ten kings, part iron, part clay. Weakness at the very bottom of this great empire. A mixture of iron and clay, and iron and clay don't mix. Whatever is of man is weak at the bottom, at its base, ready to crumble. And then the stone appears, suddenly appears, cut out of the mountain without hands. It's not human in its origin, but divine. And the stone smites the image upon its feet which were part of iron, part of clay. And so the feet, the, the, the feet are broken. And the image falls and crumbles. The stone has broken it in pieces. This mighty image breaks in pieces and is blown away. And then the stone grows and grows and grows till it becomes a mountain that fills the earth. That's the dream, Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar, of course, knows what the dream is. And so he knows that what Daniel says is true. And then Daniel interprets it for him. Yes, you, a very strong, great Chaldean, Babylonian empire, then the Medo-Persians, then comes along the Greek empire of Alexander the Great, and then comes the Roman Empire. And then the ten kings and the spreading out of the Roman Empire and the different kingdoms from it and the weakness that was there. And then comes the stone. And the stone is, of course, the kingdom, the kingdom of Christ, the church, particularly from the day of Pentecost, growing and spreading through the world ever since. Now, of course, the church was there, yes, way back in the past in the Old Testament too, but it's particularly following the death of Christ, his resurrection, his ascension, his sending forth of the Spirit, that the kingdom of Christ is to grow. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe whatsoever things I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Christ sending out, as it were, his kingdom, his gospel. I will be with you. His spirit coming to equip his followers in reaching out with the gospel to the whole world. And so the kingdom of Christ is a growing kingdom, a kingdom that will last forever. Of his kingdom, there shall be none end. It shall last forever. It's going on forevermore, this kingdom of Christ. It fills the world. And that is speaking to us of the certain 
success of the church of God. Yes, there are times of difficulty, times of setback, times when heresy abounds and when there's divisions in the churches. But at the end of the day, his kingdom will fill the earth. We were singing together in Psalm 72 of the king, King Jesus, and the certainty of his kingdom prospering. The kings of Tarshish and the isles to him shall presence bring. The kings of Sheba and Seba shall bow before him. Yea, all the mighty kings on earth before him down shall fall. And all the nations of the world do service to him shall. All the mighty kings on earth will bow before him. It hasn't happened yet, but it will certainly happen. It will certainly happen because it's in the Bible and the Bible is true. The word of God is truth and the scriptures cannot be broken. So the word of God will certainly be fulfilled. And the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. God is working out his purposes. Now it's true that in our country, the church is in a state of decline in our Western world. But in other parts of the world, in China, Despite the persecution, the church is growing and thriving. Perhaps some hundred million Christians in China today, hundred million of them, so many, growing rapidly despite the intense persecution. The church is growing in Iran again, although Christians and pastors are being put in prison. Church is growing in Africa. And where there is persecution, it has a purifying effect. Churches growing in Brazil and South America, flourishing in these places. The little stone growing, 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 till it fills the whole world. Jesus is Lord. He is King. His kingdom is coming. He told us, pray. Pray for the coming of the kingdom. And when Christ asked us to pray for that, you can be sure that he is praying for it in heaven. He's the great intercessor, the mediator at God's right hand, who is praying for his church. And you can be sure that what Christ prays for will certainly be accomplished. And so we have to be optimistic, aren't we? We have here a remarkable sight. The king gets off his throne and the mighty emperor Nebuchadnezzar falls on his face before Daniel. He recognizes that here's something far greater than him. Not that Daniel is anything all that special, but verse 47 of a truth it is that your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal this secret. The God of Daniel is, of course, the supreme God above all other gods. wonder, is he your God? Do you have him as your God? Can you say, he's my God? I trust in him. I love him. I serve him. 
Are you on the winning side today? On God's side or not? Are you undecided? We are called, each one of us, to acknowledge God and acknowledge the Savior that God gave us, the Lord Jesus Christ, to put our faith in him. All the empires of this world will be dashed in pieces. But those who put their trust in Christ, him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. This poor man cried, God heard, and saved him from all his distresses. None perish that trust in him. And fellow Christians, rejoice in this. Rejoice that although there's so much that's negative going on in Britain and in Lewis today, the great king is in heaven and he's in control. His will has been carried out. And here we're being told about the future. And the church of Christ is going to fill the whole world. Rejoice in our sovereign God, King of kings and Lord of lords. Let us pray. O oh Lord, our God, we thank thee that we have a God in heaven who rules this world. And although we see powerful forces at work, and although we see determined atheists and those who mock and blaspheme, who laugh and scorn the Christian church, and although we as a church are ourselves very feeble, yet the little stone grows and grows and grows till it fills the world. We praise thee that Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we pray, Lord, for thy blessing to be upon us each one. Bless thy word to us today and forgive all our sins for Jesus' sake. Amen.